Welcome back to Marcus Kauke's Inquisitor podcast. Today, I have John McCulloch, who is a specialist in helping you grow your business fast. John, could you give us a quick introduction and why you are the evil bull genius? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, I am John McCulloch, the one and only evil bull genius. Although I've found others using the same epithet somewhere, so I need to hunt them down and kill the fuckers. Can't have that. But what I do is, um, well, what I call the evil bull genius is, the evil bit goes back to probably 10 years ago when somebody was objecting to the fact I was quite open about being atheist. So they called me evil. They actually equated me to Satan. The bold comes down to obvious fact I've got very little hair. But I actually shave it rather than being naturally bald. And the genius is self-evident, I think. <laughs> That's what we like, a little bit of humility. So tell me, you guys are basically a social media agency? No, we're not actually. We, we're quite clear about not being that. We struggled to label ourselves, and you can say you don't like labels, or some people do, these social justice warrior types, but I think they're quite useful. What we are really is we're more of a small consultancy. We deliberately haven't grown to a large extent. We don't want loads of staff and things. So we tend to take on maybe up to a half a dozen, maybe a few more clients, depending on how much work is involved. and we work with them so it's not quite done for you as consultants we will give them advice hand-holding strategy tactics that kind of thing and when necessary when they are completely fucking useless and can't do it we will actually step in and we'll do it for them if we have to um, well, would it be fair to say it's kind of street fighter marketing for people who don't know what the hell they're doing yeah that's, that's a good way to put it yeah you know there are some things we can't or won't do like if they've got a if they're using WordPress, for instance, we'll go in and play around with a website, no problems. But if they've got a, a flat HTML website made by Dreamweaver or something, I'm not going to go anywhere near it. I'm not going to touch that with a stolen dick because it's, they'll just fall apart. So, you know, we, we can be flexible. We will be flexible. We're also very strict on what we will, will and won't do. Now, unlike most agencies, what they do is they'll just sign you up, throw money at your account, and say, we'll send you loads of traffic. Well, any, any, any idiot can send you traffic. You, know, you give me a big enough budget, I'll send you as much traffic as you want. What the problem is, these agencies, they don't understand marketing. And the more time I spend on LinkedIn, which is not as much as I want, which probably more than I want to, to be honest, these agencies, these social media experts, as they call themselves, their understanding of marketing is superficial at best. And some of it, I think they're almost criminally deficient. It's, it's embarrassing. I mean, some of the shit they come out with is embarrassing. What we do is we work with bricks and mortar businesses. You know, we are we are working very much with local businesses who have, for the sake of argument, bummers on seats. And other people coming through their door, but even even things like you know kitchen supplies and home improvements, where you don't actually go into the shop to buy what you're buying, but they've got a physical presence and they have a geographical location. We're working with businesses like that because what we want to do is a, so a very small goal we've got is to save the high street, drag it kicking and screaming back into the 21st century because. We want to basically, to take a leaf out of Donald Trump's book, we want to make local businesses great again. <laughs> Just a small thing, you know. Okay, fair enough. So tell me this. What are the big mistakes that you see small businesses making with their marketing? Oh, the biggest mistake is they don't do any. They will quite literally, and I, and I mean the word in its proper sense, they will literally do nothing but open their doors first thing in the morning and close them again last thing at night and then piss and moan when they have a slow day or they get bad customers who don't want to spend money. And what they do between opening and closing is they'll often have a few spotty youths or bimbos standing around with their noses stuck into fucking Facebook or something. 
there is nothing. They're doing no marketing. They're doing no sales to speak of. Their levels of service are crap. And the most imaginative thing they do do, if you can call it marketing, is they will stick a poster in the window saying, you know, 50% off, 60% off. We won't be beaten on price. Even John Lewis has a banner in Edinburgh where I was there a few months ago, proudly proclaiming they've never been beaten, knowingly been beaten on price since 1924 or something. Well, that's not something to be proud of. I can't remember the comedian who said it, but um, it's John Lewis' partnership. It was, no, it was Waitrose particularly, and he said two for the price of three. They're, clearly, they have been beaten on price, but uh, in their- yeah. <laughs> oh, I think John Lewis actually owns Waitrose, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, th- th- that's the big problem, and they are well, they just don't understand any of it. I mean, they don't even know where to start with it, other than cut their prices. And the reason they do that is because that's what everybody does. It's, I think it's like Dan Kennedy calls a marketing incest. And like with real incest, everybody ends up getting uglier and stupider. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me, what's the remedy to predatory online retailers? The only remedy really is to educate businesses, small businesses, to educate themselves on marketing. And I think part of the problem with that is they look at the advertising they see around them. And most of that is, you know, the multi-million, probably even tens of million pound campaigns run on the TV I don't know what it looks like at the moment because I, I don't watch TV at all. I see it for maybe five minutes where I go into the local chip shop and it just appalls me, so I just turn away from it. But there's, um, they see the kind of advertising large corporations do, and they see the big ads in the newspapers. They see the, the ads in a lot of these glossy magazines, and they think that's how marketing should be done. Well, that's, that's what we call image marketing, and that's fed into by a lot of these local, a lot of these small social media agencies. Because they themselves take their lead from these big corporations and they talk about brand marketing and we'll get your brand out there. And no one gives a fuck about your brand. Now, what they care about is you solving their problems. And if you then build a brand on the back of that because of your excellent service and excellent results, then so be it. But otherwise, focusing on the brand first is, is just empty. So that feeds into this, this lack of education and lack of imagination. The answer is for them to look at direct response marketing, which is the kind of thing we do. I said a few minutes ago about agencies. You'll sign up with an agency. They'll offer you a special deal, you know, only £99 a month, and we'll send you loads of traffic. What they don't do is they, they don't stop and look at their business they're um, serving as a whole. So even at £99 a month, if they're, say, working for a local news agent, you've got to sell a lot of fucking newspapers to make you 100 quid back. And they will just send traffic to the, these businesses' websites usually, and that with no regard whatsoever to how that traffic is going to convert to sales. Well, that itself is a huge can of worms because you have to look at how they're presenting their products and services, how much they're charging for them, how they're presenting themselves in terms of their own positioning and then, you know, what's their authority status? And then how do they sell? You're the expert sales chap. I'm, I'm good enough. But these people, they don't sell at all. They, it's like estate agents don't sell houses. They show houses. They take orders. Basically, yeah, that's absolutely right. Most businesses are just sitting there waiting to take orders everywhere. Unless they're really crap, in which case they negotiate, which means give stuff away for nothing. Oh, God, yeah. Is there something we can do about the price? My, my answer has always been, well, I can put it up if you like. Absolutely. You've got to plant your feet. Your price is your price. If you offer a discount unilaterally or prematurely without getting something of equal or greater value back in return, you've just told your prospect, I lied to you about my price. Yeah. They're going to do two things. 
They're never going to trust another word that comes out of your mouth, and they're going to keep squeezing until you give in. You had that example of uh, when you went to buy your land rate. Yeah. That was shocking. Just for your listeners, we, uh, some idiot crashed my wife's car and wrote it off. It's not impossible you're listening to him now. And so we had to get into the car. So we went up and to the local Land Rover dealer up in Cork, and we bought a Land Rover. And it was full price. That's what the price was, and we didn't care. So we said, yeah, fine. And we, we are literally sitting at the table this guy's desk in the showroom and we are filling in the paperwork and my wife this is my wife's colleague she's just signed all the paperwork I don't get involved in things like that for various reasons but she was literally signing the paperwork and he, he suddenly jumps out of his chair like one of his hemorrhoids has popped or something and says hang on a minute let's see if there's something we can do about the price ran into the back room came back and says I've, I've knocked 1700 year off the price because uh, you didn't have a trade in and I looked at my wife and she knows my attitude to this and we just shrugged and Okay, fine. So he, he, he kind of scribbled out the price on the paperwork, changed all the forms. I paid the deposit and we paid for the car the next week. And he just did himself out of 2,000 euro nearly. And it was all profit. That 2,000, 1,700 euro was all profit. How many salespeople were in that dealership? It's a big dealership because, let me think, there's, it's Volkswagen, it's Land Rover, it's Audi, it's Skoda and another couple of others. So you're a Volvo. So you're, you're probably looking at, six, seven major brands, so each one's going to have at least, say, three salesmen. Probably 20 to 30 people sales on the sales floor, easily. On average, those salespeople will be selling between 110 and 220 cars a year. Jesus, That's yeah. Behaviour across that brick and <laughs> Scary, isn't it? it well, it's fucking terrifying. I mean, when you consider how much a bad salesmanship costs business, it's an obscenity. I mean, you know, anybody who complains that they're not growing 20% a year should probably fire their bottom 80% of their sales force, and that will take care of their profitability problem. It's a, a much smaller thing, but it's indicative of what you just said about the sales force and how inept they are at miss, and, and missing sales. I was in um, a very popular coffee shop in Cork, the shopping mall, which itself is a trial for me. But I went into the shop. There are five members of staff behind the counter only one of whom was engaged in anything to do with work. Two of them were talking. One had her face in a phone. Another one was just kind of doing something unnecessary behind the counter, like tidying up the milk cartons and putting them in order of size or something. And there were, there were seven people waiting in the queue, and I was one of them. I went fucking nuts and then walked out without spending any money. <laughs> and you know, coffee shops are ridiculously profitable if you run them properly, but you know, this is just... It's just, it's just so unnecessary and easily fixed. And I'd imagine the franchise owner of that place will probably be complaining at how, at how expensive staff are and how that, you know, they're not making as much money as they perhaps should do or could do. When the answer is staring them in the face, probably five or four of them. Well, we always say that the three highest hidden costs in any business are wrong hires, hidden cost of sale, and hidden cost of response to their request for proposal. I suspect bad marketing comes in there as well, uh, very high on that list. <laughs> Tell me this, John, what is marketing? It is. I like Dan Kennedy's, I think it was Dan Kennedy, I like his definition. It's the right message uh, in front of the right person at the right time. And I would add to that in the right format. Absolutely. Those four things are really what it is. I mean, I, mean, we are, I know we often conflate and confuse marketing and sales, and they are part of a continuum. But marketing itself is really the right message at the right place at the right time, well, the right message in front of the right person at the right time and in the right format. And 
if you understand that and then you you break each one down into what it actually means and what you have to do to meet that as a criterion it actually becomes quite simple the last one the message in the right format you will everybody these days is oh you've got to be on social media if you're not on social media your business is, is a waste of time you never make any money if you're not on facebook well no that's just not fucking true I don't imagine Rolls-Royce give one shit about social media at all, for instance. They will continue to sell their cars to rich Arabs, regardless of what their Facebook page is doing. I know that's an extreme example, but it's, a, it's as good an example as any. There was countless examples of local businesses of the most mundane type. There's a guy up in London who's got a oh, shirt shop, just shirts. Not the kind of thing I would buy because I'm a scruffy bastard, but one of my colleagues was going through there, and you can't just walk into the shop I doubt they have a Facebook page or anything else, but you can't just walk into the shop because you have to ring the bell and they decide whether they let you in or not. You know? That's just a rich and mortar business. Anybody could do it. There's, a, there's an entire town in Scotland where they've taken on Amazon, not by selling things cheaper than Amazon, because that's impossible. Amazon cross, as far as I'm aware, so I understand it, Amazon cross-subsidizes its book sales and other materials with the money it makes from its IT infrastructure. Well, you can't compete with that. But this town has turned itself into the book capital of Scotland. I can't remember what the town's called. My wife sent me the details. And they have events and they have festivals and you can even, get this, you pay. You pay to go and work in the local fucking bookshop as a holiday. Well, you know, Amazon cannot possibly give the same experience as that. No. (laughs) You know, people who say you've got to be on social media, you, you've got to be posting daily on Facebook, you've got to be getting likes and en- engagement, whatever the fuck that's supposed to mean. It's not true. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't want people to think I'm saying that social media is useless because it clearly isn't. But it's like anything, it's like any tool, it's the, it has to be the right tool for the right job and be used in the right way by someone who knows how to use it. What it's not is the answer. Because what they do is they, they will see, say, Facebook, they'll see that as a strategy, but it's not, it's a tactic. And even though people say, well, I'm on lots of different platforms. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Quora, Google AdWords, you name it, I'm on there. What they don't understand is they've actually not got several marketing channels there. They've got one. That's their internet connection. And if that disappears or becomes regulated in some way or becomes more expensive because it's taxed, which is highly likely in the, in the future, they're fucked. So, you know, it's some... Um, Very fair point. People might say that never happened. Well... I'm sure the guy who was, whose business was built on fax marketing, so I'm sure he said the same until the day they changed the law so he could no longer do it, and he had no other way of getting business. So even that one thing, you know, the, the message in the right format, well, I've just opened a huge bloody box of stuff there, which I hope now your listeners are thinking, shit, what do we do? <laughs> you know, Because it's not obvious unless you, well, you, know, it's, you have to dig into this stuff, and most people just don't. This is one of the perennial problems. Marketing's evolved so much over the last 20, 30 years. There's this tyranny of choice. Where the hell do you start? Yeah, that's a really good question. This is actually what we do in the, the operation, the Great Your Business First operation. We, when we take on a new client, we will go through a four-step process where we look at business from beginning to end in terms of 8 to 20 in you know, their products and sales, in their clarity and the kind of people they want to sell to. All this information that if they don't know, those four things I mentioned before, the, the messaging and the right person at the right time. A good example of this is if you don't know with extreme clarity who your target market is, the, the person, the, the avatar of the, the man in the street you want to sell to, what, he, what car he drives, what kind of relationship he's got, is he gay or is he straight, is he black or is he white, 
What's his religion? What does he like to eat? Where does he shop for his clothes? Does he have a dog? All these massive raft of things you need to know about the person you want to sell to. Unless you do know that, how can you put the message in front of the right person? How can you know what to say to him or her? Because you, you don't know who he or she is or what the, the motivations are from buying your product or service. So this is what we do. You know, we, we dig into this stuff. This is how you start. This is one of the interesting things. I see people trying to be all things to all men. And my view is that you should niche very tightly. And once you've managed to get a foothold, then to pivot you know, five, ten degrees either way. Because messaging gets very confused if you're trying to please everybody. And your ability to enter the conversations those people are having gets massively diluted if you don't really understand them intimately, who they are, what their lifestyle is like, and what their hopes and fears are, what keeps them awake at night, what pressure they're under. My business is primarily B2B, but at the end of the day, you're still dealing with human beings. And all buying decisions are emotional. There is not one that isn't. If the emotional centers of the brain are damaged, then it's very difficult for somebody to make a decision, if not. And you just marvel at the fact that marketeers spend so much time trying to convince people intellectually. I mean, no one in the history of humanity has ever woken up and said, do you know what I really want? I want CRM. No. <laughs> no, you're right. I've done a fair bit of work with fitness trainers, PTs, you know, personal trainers. People like me. Um, people like you. <laughs> no, I mean, like, people who teach people in the gyms, you know, weight training and stuff. To go back to what you said about identifying your target market, the person you're selling to. I start having conversations with these people and I'll say, you know, okay, so where do you get your clients? And almost to a man and a woman, they say, well, I'm there in the gym training someone else or working out and people come up to me and talk to me. And then they ask me if I'll train them and I, I usually take them on. So I say, so basically you're telling me you, you take what comes. Yeah. And you, they'll say, yeah. The minute you do that, because you are trying to be all, all things to all men and women, because you have no say in who comes to speak to you, you can't possibly niche. You're just having a, you're not even necessarily targeting fat people. You are targeting people who just happen to be in the gym. And the motivations, I mean, the motivations of a, of a 20-year-old man going to the gym are different from one of 30. And that's different from one of 40 and 50. And, 60. and I know because I've done it. I know I've, I've been that man. So my motivations when I was in my 20s and 30s was probably to be more buff and muscular because I was just a young buck. Well, now at 54, it's more a case of I like, it's very vain, but I like to have a better physique than men 25, 30 years younger than me. I'm no longer in the, in the market of going around on a Saturday night looking for women, only because my wife wouldn't let me. But the motivations are different. And this is just one, one person, you know, one man. Well, if you then take into account women as well, and again, you know, 19-year-old girl was going to Ibiza for a couple of weeks on a shagging fest, all the way up to a middle-aged woman who's just been left by her husband and she wants to get back into that little black number. So she can be seen in the clubs when he's on his arm with his now very pregnant and fat new girlfriend. So he, he, she can show him what he's lost. You know, all these different things. And, and once PTs start looking into these different people who go to the gym for different reasons, well, then they can identify, yeah, I want to serve these people. And then they can construct all their messages to serve only those people, and speak to and serve only those people. Well, the, the thing is, every business can do the same. You know, you're a clothing retailer. You can do, for instance, what Evans did with targeting rather larger people if you wanted to. But they don't do any of it. They don't even know to do it. They don't even know what they don't know. Fair point. So tell me this then. The starting point is understanding who you're trying to uh, attract. What's the next step? 
Well, the next step is you actually know who you're targeting is. We look at how you present what you're selling. Um, and I've just given an example of that, but I'll clarify it. Most PTs, and I always use PTs as my example, my basic example, simply because we all understand the process of losing weight. We all know there's lots of false promises out there. We all like to believe there's a special pill, and no, there isn't. And we all know someone who's either tried to lose weight or we've done it ourselves. It's, you know, it's, it's everybody got the memo. It's not complicated. So everyone can understand what I'm talking about. It's not esoteric at all. But most fitness trainers will do exactly what I just said, is they'll just take what comes. And what they're doing is they'll sell themselves in that way. So they will sell their products and services in the gym. They'll just say, oh, we'll do this kind of weight training. I'll do that diet for you. You come in three times a week. We've got all these machines. It's great. Well, that's what we call selling the thing. And this is identifying what we're talking about now is, is what we do in the second step of the process. Smarter fitness trainer will talk about getting results, losing weight, gaining muscle, being, being in better health, that kind of thing. But even that doesn't really do it because we all know that, but nobody really just wants to be thinner. Nobody just wants to have more muscles. There's a, there's a deeper underlying reason for it. And that's what we call the outcome. And a really good example of outcome is the lady I mentioned. I mean, that's an actual lady. The, the, the lady wants to go to the nightclub and be in a black number. That's an actual example of to be a nightclub dormant. And she was a lady who used to come into the pubs and she'd been dumped by her husband. And that's exactly what she did. She started with a PT and she said to me one night, I've, I want him to see me um, in my black dress that I wore after our wedding or something. I want him to see me in that and with his girlfriend on his arm. And I want him to, to feel shit what I've done. And that was her outcome. Now, for me, my outcome when I was started to lose weight and really look after myself in my late 30s, because up until that point, it, wasn't, it was easy, was I didn't want to be the fat dad in the playground. Well, that's got nothing to do with, you know, not embarrass my children. That's got nothing to do with weight training or diet per se, nor is it anything to do with losing weight particularly. It's a lot bigger than that. Well, we've all got that. And people say, might be thinking, well, I, I sell kitchens, so it doesn't apply to me. Well, that's not true either because, you know, a, a kitchen retailer will sell a kitchen on the basis of its kitchen and it's a quality kitchen and that's it. A smarter kitchen retailer will sell a kitchen because, it's a nicer environment to cook food in and it'll um, put value on your home. But a really smart kitchen retailer will sell a high-end kitchen and will sell it on the idea of how you can rub your sister-in-law's fucking nose in it when she comes around on the dip for a dinner party. Absolutely. Again, people buy for their reasons. The motivation is intrinsic. And again, where I see so many mistakes happening in marketing, in sales, in management, is people try and use extrinsic drivers to get people to make purchase decisions or decide to take action. So this then brings me to the next question, which is how do you get to really understand the personal drivers of your individual customer and make it feel personal? Because I think another big mistake is where marketeers have these generic messages and they're going off the volume of views, the volume of likes, instead of talking to that tiny handful people who are potential customers and are in the market to buy and you can enter that conversation how do you do this is the part of the second step that we're going through and when we, we're identifying their outcome and you know we've identified who they want to sell to and then we talk about their outcome find their outcome and the only way we can do it is and, and this is why you know we cannot work with everyone because some people are rather not capable or just unwilling to do this work and it's a long process of, if, you know, if you've got someone who's been say, doing their job for 30 years, 40 years, and they are actually experienced, they're good at it, they will probably have this information inside them. And it's just a matter of asking them and having this conversation with them. And it might take some time because, let's face it, some people are a bit thick. And it takes a while to get this 
idea in their heads. For people who have not been in the business as long or have never really had these kinds of conversations or don't understand how to sell to their, their clients, um, you might need to survey your customers and your clients, your existing ones and your past ones and then your new ones, and ask questions, but not just things like, how would you rate 10? But ask open-ended questions such as, you know, if, if you say that you have a problem, you know, because no one ever buys anything except to solve a problem. Now, what that problem is obviously depends on the individual. So when I needed to buy a car, I had a big problem. I had no fucking car, so I need to buy one. So my price resistance was almost zero. What you may have to do is ask open-ended questions, say, such as, again, going back to the PTs. So if you, um, you, you, you lost all your, your fat and you've got to a 10% body fat and you've got a six-pack and you woke up in the morning and your day was then perfect, so how would you know that? And when you ask that question, that specific question, you will get two kinds of answers. Sometimes you get a short one, which is pretty useless. More often than not, from the people who understand themselves are a bit more self-aware, maybe, you will get a very, very long answer. And they'll tell you everything from how their, their father was cold and distant in Freudian terms and you know, he never felt loved as a child. And you get these reams of answers. And in, within those answers is the information we're looking for and what is their real motivator. Now, the, the, one of the PTs I work with, he's now he's gone through this process of figuring out his outcome by thinking about his, ex- his existing clients, his past clients. I was one because I understand this. I was a good source of information for him. So he now specializes in doing weight loss and muscle gaining. Basically, he gets guys in their 50s and above, business owners who are overweight. He gets them their six-pack. That's his kind of thing, which is very specific. The market is very specific. And he got the information to do that, to be able to focus like that by asking questions of, of the nature I've just um, said. This again comes to a fundamental truth. People don't believe what you tell them. A tiny bit of what you say. They believe what other people tell them in part, but they'll believe 100% of what they tell themselves. Yeah. This again where I think questioning is a massively underutilized and underdeveloped skill because if you can't get the prospect to tell their own story, then you're always going to face level of resistance and you're going to be trying to convince them and i don't believe you can convince anyone to buy anything ever they no. the why they want it for so what do you teach your clients to do in terms of questioning we will talk to them and find out what they know what they don't know i've got a really long questionnaire i send them which <laughs> it's an online form and sometimes they find it doesn't save if they go or go away and come back so I have to start it over again. But to give you an example, uh, just some idea of how involved it is, more recent client took him eight hours to go through this questionnaire because it, it really makes them think about whom they're selling to, what these people's motivations might be, what exactly they will get from solving this problem. In some places, it can be iterative because they'll answer one question, go on to answer another one, then realize that what they've just told me to this next question doesn't actually tally with what they told me before. They have to go back and do it. it. It doesn't, I don't get involved in that other than to take the results and maybe then get back to have a conversation with them. But it takes them a long time to get through this form. And the guy actually said, I saw him this weekend, he said, just that process in itself is, is being extremely valuable for his business. Never mind anything else we'd do for him. This then brings me to the next point. Why are people so lazy? and looking for such a quick fix, why aren't they putting the time and effort in? Because marketing is the foundation to successful business, unless you are exceptionally lucky with your timing and you just happen to catch the current, the wind's in the right direction, you haven't got any barnacles. So why is it people so goddamn lazy when it comes to their marketing? I don't know. 
Same with everything, though, isn't it? I mean, if there wasn't something inside us as a species, in the way we're wired up, that made this kind of instant gratification or, or taking the easy way out, if there wasn't something inside us that made that attractive, we wouldn't have get-rich-quick screams. We wouldn't have Nigerian scammers. We wouldn't have weight loss pills. We wouldn't have marketing gurus, in quotes, selling how to revolutionize your life in 30 days with no effort. None of those things would exist. So I think it's something intrinsic within us, and it's probably down, I don't know, it's probably to do with energy conservation. We evolved in an environment where if you can do something the easy way, do it the easy way because it burns fewer calories, which means you have to forage for less food. Something within us, I think. I'm a huge fan of doing less but better on purpose. And certainly in sales, I'm always looking at what's the minimum that you need to do to get the maximum result. So applying intelligence to your design, applying intelligence to your messaging, and being willing to test and Mm. challenge. And I think one of the big issues out there is that what we tend to do is we tend to look for the bland, the banal, the anodyne, the easy. And I'm a huge fan of constructive conflict. If you look at the best designs out there, they haven't just come in the blink of an eye. You look at Dyson with the dual cyclone. That took over 5,000 failed attempts to uh, the product that he eventually went out and got a patent on. And the first patent for a cyclone vacuum cleaner was 1928. How come it took that long for somebody to eventually come up with a product that was serviceable? I think it's because they don't challenge themselves. They don't go through that evolutionary process, working out what works and what doesn't, and building up that litany of failures. Um, So eventually, they can come up with something good. Testing. Talk to me about that. Testing. Crikey. You have to kiss a lot of frogs (laughs) before you find your prince. Most business owners won't test. I mean, a a classic example of something we, we see in here all the time is. Oh, yeah, I, I tried Facebook and it didn't work, so I didn't bother anymore. It's crap. And when you then say, okay, so what did you do? Well, I, I did a promoted post and got a few likes. Well, I didn't make any business. Well, <laughs> you don't fucking say. <laughs> what a surprise. Because then you, you, you kind of explain to them, well, if you do that, if you promote a post, what Facebook would do is just show, show your post to people who are mo- more likely to like it. Regardless, that, that is their qualification. And that's probably people in living in a mud hut somewhere in the Congo or they're in Bangladesh and you know they are somebody's target market but they're probably not yours because they have no fundamental understanding of those four things we've talked about in marketing they will just do some marketing it didn't work so it failed and what they don't understand is you, you have to be methodical about it you know you, and they need to be understand you might need to spend a month or two trying stuff no I didn't get the results I wanted let's do something else and they need to be prepared to lose a couple of thousand quid on their marketing before they start making a real return on it. That's just the facts. There's no way around it. Now, there's some stuff we can do for people, particularly kitchen retailers and the home improvements, which is almost immediately effective and insanely so. For the most part, if they want to start getting more traffic, better traffic, better sales, they have to start from, and it almost doesn't matter where they're from. They need to start doing something and say, okay, we've done this. These are the results we've got. They're neither good nor bad. They are just results. They're they're not value-free. They are just, it's information. So what happens if we then change something? Can we do better? Now, Dan Kennedy himself, and again, if anyone who listens to this doesn't know who Dan Kennedy is, I strongly advise you to find out because 
he's my mentor, has been for a long time. He's, he's the person that everyone in marketing looks up to. And when you see all these other gurus, every single one of them has probably got Dan Kennedy at the root of what he does or she does. And even Dan Kennedy will quite happily tell you seven out of eight of his promotions and things will fail. But the eighth one is so spectacularly successful, it pays for the seven failures and then some. This is what I found too. You know, I've, I've done direct mails and I'm, I don't do it so much now, not for a living, but you know, at the time I was a professional direct response copywriter. I was an A-list copywriter. I was working with clients all over the world, big clients, some of whom people will probably know their names of, but I'm not going to say. But even I sent out a thousand piece mailing as a test and didn't get a single fucking result. Well, that was the result. Nobody bothered. Nobody replied. If someone like me can do that and have a spectacular failure, it's not surprising when other people don't. That's the downside to testing. Everybody listening to this needs to understand it has to be done. And the chances are you're not going to make the results you wanted to make from the outset. I'm thinking that the best organizations for advancement, things like Mercedes Formula One, they are all about breaking their hypothesis and they're testing again and testing again. You look at the GB cycling team. It was all about slight edge. And they went in five years from having no gold medals to winning eight and then setting up a second discipline with road cycling. And uh, was it Bradley Wiggins or uh, Chris Hoy then winning the Tour de France? That was unheard of. But that was things like making sure they took their mattresses before they went into the bedroom in the hotel, it was hoovered to reduce the chance of infection. Um, right, yeah. Tiny, tiny little changes that all added up to lots of slight edges turning into razor-sharp blade. I think you have to do that in sales, in marketing, in whatever your discipline. That's the downside. It's hard work. But the, the upside is, with rare exception, I mean, unless you're doing like national weight loss products and services with loads of high-end competition, if you're just a mundane, and I don't mean that in any disparaging way, but if you're just a, a normal bricks and mortar business in a local town, those things I've just said are true. You still need to test relentlessly. But the upside of the, the, the good thing about it is your competitors ain't doing it. None of them. I live, for instance, here's a, here's a really simple one for anyone. Anyone can understand this. Anyone could do it. I live in a little town in Ireland. and well, I, just, I live outside the town. But in the town itself, there's a pizza place. And I think there's probably two or three in the town. What they could do, very simply, with Facebook, it would cost them pennies per click because it's so specific. Every day, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, between the hours of 9 p.m. and 1 a.m., say, they could have Facebook ads running targeted at people between 18 and 35 within that area, that postcode, showing them adverts for that pizza place. How many people coming out of the fucking pubs and clubs would see those ads and go and buy a pizza? Absolutely. But they just don't do it. I've not seen, in all the years I've been, 11 years now, I've, nearly 12, I've not seen a single, not one, targeted Facebook ad in my feed from my, anyone at all in my local area. Not a single one. My business partner, Connor, lives down in Hailing Island, I think it is. And he's seen a, he's seen a couple for local pubs and that is it. Well, it makes no sense. <laughs> Why are they not doing this? So, you know, anything people do, yeah, you've got to test, you've got to measure, you've got to go around the loop over and over again, and you can never afford to stop, really, because things change. And your competitors, some might copy you, so you need to be ahead of them. But that's the downside. The upside is no one else is doing it. Anything you do. Kitchen Place, recently, I am started working with. They're spending £250 a month on Google AdWords. 
that is it. And they're already doing between, well, I won't give the numbers because that wouldn't be fair, but they're already at least over break even. Sometimes they're making maybe 40k a month profit. And that's with doing nothing. So just imagine how much money we're going to make them when we start doing just something. <laughs> you know, it's, it's ridiculous. So tell me this then. People don't put the time and effort in to understand their customer. They're not interviewing them. They're not them. And as a result, they're leaving a massive gap in their business. So mentally, what's the leap they have to make? And how much time do they have to put in? on a consistent basis in order to even make a, a tiny dent and start using marketing effectively? That's a really good question, actually. I've not really thought about that. I think, I think the, two, the two answers are very, well, the answer to the two parts of the question are very different. The mental leap they have to make is, and I don't think this is the obvious answer, is they have to get their head around the idea the way it's done right now by everyone, because this is what most people do. They look around them and see what everyone else is doing, and they do the same, because that's how it's done. What they need to understand is the way it's done is not the way it should be done. And if they want different results from what they're getting and from what everyone else is getting, they need to do something different. That's a lot harder mentally and emotionally than people think. Because the minute you start doing it, the minute a pizza place, say, starts putting an ad in the newsfeed every night at between 9 and 7, so 9 and 1, their competitors, for instance, are going to start calling them names and spreading rumors and on social media. They're just going to be sniping spiteful bullshit, you know. And people, I don't have this problem for reasons you know, but people really take that to heart. Yeah. That's emotionally quite difficult for most people. The second thing is, what do they need to do? How much time do they put in? They could start doing things very simple. From that specific example and adding the news feed, I bet you could learn how to do it and then do it in a day. Anyone could, you know, you go onto the platform, you don't perhaps buy a book or a little course on how to do Facebook advertising. So you know how to use the, the, literally how to physically use the platform. And it would take you a little while to do an ad. Certainly if you spent an hour or two a day, you could do it by the end of the week. Anyone. Daily emails, which is still one of the most effective things that I've ever done. And that's what I tell all my clients to do. Again, it takes me 20 minutes to write an email. Most people probably takes an hour or two. But again, it's an hour or so a day. They are really simple things. A simple postcard getting someone to phone up your existing customers and asking the question, what are you not getting that you need, for instance? So the, you, know, you can start really simply, and it can take you maybe an hour or so a day. If you want to become an expert, I'll tell you, it's a full-time job, same like mine. You know? <laughs> Let's assume they've done their research. They've understood the pains and problems of their prospective customer. They've been able to create targeted messaging in order to enter the conversations their prospects are already having. They've now started to do a little bit of outreach in terms of direct mail, email, targeted Facebook ads, whatever it happens to be. What's the next step? I think the next step would be, once they've done something and they can see it's, it's effective, I think the next thing, I mean, and bearing in mind this is predicated on them actually becoming educated too, and it, it's the kind of thing, I think, when most people get into it, they get very excited. The downside to that is they're a little bit like 18-year-old boys when they discover girls. They'll just throw themselves into it without really thinking what the consequences might be. And they, they become evangelical about it. It's like a new religion. And I get that because I was the same. But what they, I think what they need to do is, is rein in their enthusiasm and sit down and, make, and fully understand what they're doing, which probably involves talking to someone like me or buying a book or several books and writing a proper plan. because. I mean, here's a really good example, and I see this all the time, even from some of the, the top gurus. Well, they, they teach one thing and do another, which I find reprehensible. 
everyone is almost always talking about getting new customers. Well, that ain't always what you want. I mean, we all want new business, but that's not the same thing because the best business you ever get is selling to your existing customers and past ones. Because they're easier to sell to and they, they generally spend more and they, they cause fewer problems. So that it's even that small distinction itself means having a proper plan. So we've sold these people something. What do we do now? What do we sell them after? What plan, what strategy do we have for a structured plan of upsells, cross and cross sells, for instance? And going backwards, or if you imagine that's the midpoint, if you work backwards and think, well, what about people who've been to say to my website and they've clicked and read a, read a page or read a, or clicked a link in one of my emails, but they haven't bought anything? What do we do with those people? Well, now with the the, the Facebook, LinkedIn, Quora, Google pixels, you can track them. So someone clicks on a a blog post about stainless steel pink widgets on my website. Next thing they know, they're being shown adverts for these stainless steel pink widgets on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Quora, and all over the internet because that's what my pixels have told them, have told my systems what to do. Well, that takes planning. That takes a lot of planning. That takes a lot of thinking. It takes a lot of analysis. But you can start very simple just by saying, if this person's hit my website, show them an ad. But it requires thought and it requires education. I guess it requires a bit of faith as well. I'll tell you one of the, be- the best things they can do, I'm not trying to sell them on, on joining anything because it's a lot more complex right, than that. That's my next question, so uh, feel free. Well, what I was going to say was one of the things they should do is probably join groups of, of like-minded people because my point earlier about getting, you'll get resistance to it from friends, family, spouses, comp- competitors, even some of your customers, but not many. That kind of thing can be quite draining. So it's, if you're talking to people who have a similar mindset, it makes it easier. What sort of courses and programs can people sign up for? In my past, what we're doing now, which is what I'm focused on moving forward, we are launching something in the end of March, early April, called the Ground Zero Initiative. Because I mentioned at the beginning of the, the, the call, we, we work one-on-one with clients. But we're quite picky, not, not because we're snobbish, but because we don't charge a small amount of money for our services, which means you've got to be selling something that brings a big ROI and also something we can scale, say kitchens, bathrooms, home improvements, where your profits are probably 40% on a 12, 15K sale. And we'll make that probably near 60% on something like a 25K sale. If we try to help you to sell newspapers, you've got to sell a lot of fucking newspapers. And some businesses we just don't want to work with because we're not in the game of saving people's lives. We're not miracle workers. We don't want to even try. But what we are doing is we've got a, a very small, small aim, as I said, I think. We're going to make local businesses great again. We want to drag the high street kicking and screaming back into the 21st century. There's a thing called the high street report. Their idea, their big idea, right, for saving the high street, I'm not making this up. This is a government initiative, so it's the kind of shit you'd expect from government, is to put more buses on. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, to put more buses on to get people to go into a high street they don't want to fucking go to anyway. Otherwise, they'd be going there (laughs) already. And they got their information by asking people in the high street. Well, those people are already in the high street. Why are you asking people in the high street? Why are you not going into the high street? (laughs) Makes no sense. Of course they want more fucking buses. So we're launching what we call the Ground Zero Initiative. And we are going to show business owners, bricks and mortar business owners, how they can do this for themselves. And because it's done for you and it's it's simple grassroots stuff, it's suitable for everybody from your newsagent to your clothing retailers, all the way up to anybody, big kitchen retailers, whatever electricians, other tradesmen, tradespeople. 
And we're launching that and they, they can get information on that by going to, and it's all one word, growyourbusinessfast.co.uk. And then it, it'll be obvious what to do on the, on the website. And how can people get hold of you? They can contact me through the website. It's the best way. Growyourbusinessfast.co.uk. Okay. And have you written any books? Yes, I've written a book called Grow Your Business Fast. And if anybody wants a copy, they can just either go to Amazon and pay for it, which is nice, or they can just send me a message over the website and I'll get one in the post to them. And of course, if they want to get hold of me on LinkedIn, I'm John McCulloch, Evil Bold Genius. I always accept incoming requests. So anything like that will work. A couple of final questions. Recommended reading. Best books on small business marketing. I'd say, apart from mine, which is obviously the best, anything and everything by Dan Kennedy, but specifically by Dan Kennedy, I would say the No BS series. And probably out of those ones, there's No BS Sales Success and No BS Business Success. The rest are all good, but those two are the ones that really got me into it and they spoke to me very loudly. Yeah, they are superb. And well, they won't give you a great deal of strategy, but they will give you a lot of philosophy. And it's not dry and boring. He writes in a very engaging way. There's another book called, this is quite an esoteric one. Um, I'm surprised it's not more widely spoken about. It's The Ultimate Sales Machine by a guy called Chet Holmes. And if you can get past the first couple of chapters, which I would admit are pretty fucking boring, because he's talking about big corporate stuff from memory, it gets extremely engaging and very, very good. It's quite sad, really. He died relatively young of leukemia, I believe. So he won't be writing any more books anytime soon. But um, <laughs> the ultimate sales machine is superb. Depends if you know any good psychics, I guess. Yes, yes. I don't think any such thing exists. A bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? What about good video channels? I don't have to do videos, Marcus. So I couldn't really say. I make videos, but I don't watch them very much. I don't do that okay. kind of thing. Fair enough, John. Thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. If you had one bit of advice to your probably 30-year-old self when he first started getting good at this stuff, what would you give him? Pick something and do it. Because what most people do is when they start reading Dan Kennedy and me and people like me, they'll realize, oh my God, this well, this 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 vein of gold is so rich. This seam is so valuable, so rich and full of jewels and gold and the rest of it. But I don't know which one to wear first. I don't know which one, which tiara to put on first, you know? And I would just say, pick something and do it. You will get a result, and then you'll do something else. Because what they want is certainty, which none of us can provide. On that note, I remember I was recruiting for a client of mine, and they were recruiting a marketing director. And I kid you not, at the interview, when they were, uh, the marketing director was talking about iterative testing, all that kind of stuff, and the CEO said, well, that's all well and good, but I don't want you doing uh, all those tests. I only want you to do the ones that work. Uh, <laughs> what an idiot. Funnily enough, that didn't last very long. Okay, so John, thank you so much. That's John McCulloch, the evil bull genius specialist in SME marketing for bricks and mortar businesses, signing off. And Marcus Kauke, the inquisitor, signing off too. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like share and comment and feel free to ask questions if we've upset you good argue with us and pick a fight look forward to speaking to you soon bye